good way to introduce it. So, um, we, um, you know, usually when we think of that word encounter, that's what we think of. We think of a, a sighting of Bigfoot or an encounter with a UFO or the Loch Ness Monster or something like that. I know when we were kids, uh, my youngest brother Gary, I don't know, he was eight, nine years old, one afternoon he thought he saw a flying saucer fly over the house and down across the woods in front of our house. And so he got his friend from down the road, Bobby, and they went off down into the woods looking to see if it landed or maybe it crashed or something like that. But they came back and had no real news to report on that. Uh, But I think if we're honest, all of us get sort of fascinated once in a while watching on Discovery Channel Uh, some of the other stations on television, these kinds of shows that talk about these sightings and these encounters that people have. There's a movie, uh, been around for a while, Close Encounters, what is it, of the third kind? Close Encounters of the third kind. Some of you have probably seen that. Now, we always take those things, though, and we stick them over in the category of being superstitious, fantasy, and maybe a little bit crazy, bizarre. And now, to be honest with you, If I went on a walk and saw Bigfoot, I wouldn't, I don't think I would tell anybody. Uh, I can only imagine what the headlines would be. Something like this. Local pastor has encounter with Bigfoot. And then the story. Pastor Jim Nichols of the Calvary Church in southwest suburban Lamont reports that early Thursday morning, as he walked a path near the I&M Canal, a creature that he can only describe as Bigfoot ran onto the path in front of him. They made eye contact, and then Bigfoot ran off into the brush. Pastor Nichols goes on to tell that when he went home and told his wife what had happened, her first reaction was to roll her eyes, and then immediately she called and set an appointment with a local counselor. So anyway, that's our reaction to these kinds of things normally. Yet... We Christ followers base our faith on a very amazing encounter story. We claim to have encountered the invisible, but the true and the real God who is really there. And you know what? To a lot of people, that can sound crazy. We claim that we talk to him. And we also claim very often that He reveals Himself to us. He fills our lives with His presence, His peace, His strength. We claim to have this relationship with this God that no one can see. Now, we Christians also say that we have made this encounter with God, not in some sort of spiritual random way, but we've done it very specifically through faith in one called Jesus Christ who came teaching us that He was the eternal Son of God, sent into the world, this broken world, alienated from God. He was sent here for the very purpose of providing the way for every human being who so desires, who places faith in Him, to come to know this personal God, to encounter Him. And you know, that's exactly what Jesus said many, many times. Let me just quote two or three things or tell you about three or, th- three or four things that Jesus said in his promise that we can encounter the true and the living God through faith in him. Number one, the night before he died, John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus makes this statement. If a person loves me and embraces, obeys my teaching, 
My Father will love him or her. And then listen to this. And we will come and make our home within him or her. God will come and enter in and live inside the heart, the spirit of the person who places faith in him. Jesus described it sort of, um, well, using, using an example from nature. He was talking with a woman at the well. He was describing to her that anyone who places faith in me, there will be this wonderful internal experience burst forth. He compared it to an artesian well, a natural spring of water that just begins to flow inside the heart and the life, the presence of God. Another time, Jesus said this in John chapter 7. He said, if anyone is thirsty, let him, let her come to me and drink. Place faith in me. And then he said, out of the innermost being of that person will begin to flow a river of living water, a river of life. And so we claim as Christians, followers of Christ, that we have encountered God experientially. This is not just some sort of dead, cold belief system we have, but it's full of the life and the reality and the presence of God. And Jesus taught that the most basic encounter we can have with God is in prayer. And that's where we're going to begin this new series today. And we're going to be talking a lot about prayer. What is prayer? One way to describe prayer is, is it's simply Jesus introducing us to, a, to living in a conversational relationship with God. We can talk to God anytime, 24-7. It's a, it's a relationship in which we have fellowship and communion and, a re, and connection with God. Now, when it comes to prayer, all of us, I think, you, you would agree with me, all of us like when we pray for something that we get an immediate response, an immediate answer. Would you agree with me on that? I mean, I like that whether I'm talking to God or anyone else. If I say something, if I ask something or bring a request to someone, I sort of like a response, don't you? But sometimes when we bring requests to God, it certainly seems like there's not an immediate response. And so the question we have this morning is just that. What about those fervent desperate prayers that we pray during times of crisis or loss or, or a struggle or a need. Someone's sick and we're praying for their healing. Or situations where there, are, there is just no improvement and maybe things are getting worse. And yet we're praying with all of our heart and all of our soul, but there is no visible intervention from God. There is no great miracle. There's no immediate response. And it seems like God really isn't there. So, we're going to look at that. And I want to begin by contrasting two famous people. The first one is a guy named Bertrand Russell. He was a famous British philosopher in the early 1900s. And he wrote a book with this title, Why I Am Not a Christian. In this book, he refers to a passenger ship. It might have been... Uh, the Titanic, I don't, I'm not sure, that sank in the Atlantic. And after the sinking of that ship, there were many, many people, the ones that survived, who were just full of praise and, and giving testimonies of how God had rescued them from this ship and from a terrible fate. But then Bertrand Russell said, well, what about the prayers of those who went down with the ship? What about the prayers of those who drowned? 
Did God hear their equally desperate prayers? Were any of those people of God who were praying desperately to God and they went down with the ship? What happened to them? And it was contradictory things like this that Russell, he couldn't reconcile that, that caused him to be one of the 20th century's most ardent advocates of atheism because he believed if there is a God, he obviously didn't respond to all the prayers that were being prayed so desperately on that ship. Now the second person is Corey Ten Boom. She lived during World War II. She and her sister Betsy were part of the underground hiding the Jewish people in the nation of Holland during the Nazi reign of terror. And um, they were discovered, finally, hiding some Jewish people. They were put into a concentration camp at Ravensbrück. And after a while, Betsy got sick. And Corey and the others were desperately surrounding her, and they were desperately praying for God to heal Betsy. But the more they prayed, the sicker Betsy got. And finally, Betsy died, and she died in a horrible, horrible place for anyone to die. She died in the midst of the injustice and terror of a Nazi concentration camp. Now, both of these sisters loved God. Both sisters believed in prayer. Corey survived the camp, but her sister Betsy did not survive. And yet, Corey Ten Boom came out of that experience to become one of the 20th century's greatest advocates of the power of prayer. So, what's the difference between Corey Ten Boom and Bertrand Russell? I think it's this. Bertrand Russell had a very narrow view of how God responds to prayer. In his view, God should always respond immediately, visibly, demonstrably, always respond with a miraculous intervention. And he concluded that since all these people were praying and there was no sign, no evidence at all in the immediate situation that God was even there and, these, and many of these people died, that that's, that was another nail in the coffin of God's non-existence. If God doesn't do a miracle, if he doesn't answer immediately, then he isn't there. And you're talking to the thin air. That was his view. Corey Ten Boom, on the other hand, she understood that the God of the Scriptures is not so limited in how he responds to our prayers. And when God doesn't answer with an immediate rescue, this is what Corey Ten Boom used to say to people. She would say, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, in other words, you're going through a time in your life and you just, it's dark and you don't see God's presence anywhere. Well, if you're, if you're going through a train and you go into the tunnel, going through a tunnel on a train, you don't throw away your ticket and jump off the train in the tunnel. You just sit still and trust the engineer that the train is going to come out the other side. And that's her way, and that, that was her fate. God is always still there in the darkness. He has other ways to respond to our prayers. So this morning, we're going to look at four of those different responses to our encounters with God in prayer that we see throughout the Scriptures. And the first one is this. 
And I've made up these, these, the titles for each of these responses, but here's the first one. The right now response. And that is that immediate, visible, that's that open miracle. Like the many miracles that Jesus did when he was walking the earth. Remember the story of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was a man who lived near Jericho. He had been blind from the day of his birth. And Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse number 46, tells the story. Jesus was coming into town, had a huge crowd following him, including his, his disciples. And Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is coming, and he begins to scream at the top of his voice over and over these words, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples, the Bible says, went over and rebuked him and said, shut up, man, you're creating a disturbance here. Can't you see the Lord's busy? He's got things to do. And the more they tried to shut him up, the more he screamed and yelled for Jesus' attention, brought his request to the Lord. Well, the Lord went over to Bartimaeus, and he reached down to Bartimaeus and instantly healed him of his blindness. In fact, he said these words, your faith has healed you. And Bartimaeus could see every day the rest of his life. God healed him on the spot. Now, this is one way God responds to prayers. And we should never forget in any of the the pressures we face or the crisis we deal with in life, the Lord never wants us to forget that he can and will at times work miraculously, dramatically, immediately, in the circumstances of our lives. He can still heal today. He can still do all the things he did when he was walking on this planet. Uh, And we should never put a lid on that and trust him. And when we're sick, when we're facing things, come to him and bring the need to him. It's up to him which of the responses he's going to utilize in in, in working out his plan in our life. But let's make sure we don't put a lid on the miraculous. He can do that. Now, but we come back to our question. What about those who have been prayed for and the answer doesn't come so quickly? Well, I think this. We limit God when we think his only capacity to respond to our prayers is to do a miracle. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 refers to the Lord and calls the Lord by several different names. In fact, four different names. You'll know this verse. Let me read it. It says, it's, speaking, it's a prophecy about Jesus when he comes. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, only one of those names is Mighty God. And sometimes Jesus is the Mighty God who breaks into a crisis and works a dramatic miracle. But here's a question also. Can you, in your trials and losses, also allow the Lord to be your wonderful counselor? And wonderful counselors, what they do is they come alongside people in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggle, and they bring insight, and they bring deep lessons during that journey through, through adversity and difficulty. That's what a wonderful counselor does, and the Lord is a wonderful counselor. And sometimes that's the way he responds to our requests and our needs in this life. Will you allow him to be your everlasting father who no matter what you are going through will always be there to hold you and to carry you close to himself 
even when you can't see him or feel his presence? Can you trust him to be your father? Will you allow the Lord to be your prince of peace who can comfort you when there is no miracle? And and I want us to take note of these four names. Only one of them refers to his might in doing miracles. The other three refer to his ability to counsel, teach, comfort during suffering. And that leads us to the second way the Lord responds often to our prayers. And I call this one the not now, but later, and just in time response. And we see this in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, the deeply loved brother of Mary and Martha, his name was Lazarus, he suddenly got sick. And the sisters sent for Jesus who had been at their house many, many times. They had seen Jesus heal people before. And they they sent for him to come as soon as possible. The note that they sent to him said this, Lord, the one you love is sick. But verse number six strangely says, when Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And Lazarus died during those two days. And so the sisters were beside themselves with sorrow, with grief. And when Jesus finally got to Lazarus' house, he had been dead for four days. And Martha runs up to meet him when she hears he's coming. And she says her first words to the Lord were, Lord, if you had been here, uh, our brother would not have died. And the Scripture says that Mary, who was known In one other passage, she was known for being the the sister that sat at Jesus' feet, just adored Christ. And she sat there, she would sit there for hours while Martha was cleaning the house and getting the meals ready to Martha's consternation. But Mary would sit there and just listen to the Lord and take in everything he was saying. But this time, even Mary, she, she didn't even go out with Martha to meet Jesus. I think she was disillusioned. And so Martha comes back into the house and says, Mary, uh, Jesus is here. And Mary gets up and she goes out to Jesus and she says the very same words that Martha did to him. Lord, if you would have been here, if you would have been on time, when we first prayed, if you would have responded, then our brother, he, he wouldn't have died. And so Mary and Martha went through four days of darkness carrying this deep grief. They felt ignored by the Lord. And so I want to ask the question, is there anyone in here who's ever felt ignored by the Lord? I would imagine, again, if we're honest, that every single one of us, we have had those times when we've felt God is ignoring me or I must have done something to tick God off and he's just got me out at arm's length and he's not responding to any prayer that I bring him. Uh, And that's a horrible place for a Christian to be trying to live their life of faith. That's a horrible place to be, thinking that, man, God is, I'm in his doghouse, or God's ignoring me, or, or whatever's going on. You know, saints down through the ages have referred to what has come to be called the dark night of the soul. I think St. John of the Cross, several centuries ago, he coined that phrase for this very thing we're talking about those sort of unexplainable times in our Christian path when it just seems like 
The heavens are made out of iron, and our prayers bounce off. They, they just don't make it. Well, in John chapter 11, what we learn about that is this. John chapter 11 is very careful to point out, if we read that chapter carefully, though Jesus delayed his arrival by four days, it also says in verse 4 that from the very first moment Jesus received their request, he heard every word of it and he did respond immediately. And here is his response. It says in verse 4 that when Jesus heard this, when he heard their prayer, He said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And then verse 5 adds, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so the Lord heard the prayer. This was not any kind of a lack of love, this delay, No, from the moment, Jesus loved them deeply, more than they could imagine. And he already had a plan that he stated the first moment he received that request. He had a plan for this whole Lazarus situation. And the plan was this. He had a purpose for the working out of a greater glory through through Lazarus' death, but just at the right time, God's timing. And so the right time, what what was that right time? Well, in this case, after those four days of delay, tears and sorrow, Jesus came to the house. And to show his power over death, Jesus walked up to Lazarus' tomb and he shouted three words. This is the power of Christ. Lazarus, come forth. And the scripture says that, that Lazarus, still wrapped up in all the old grave close of death. Somehow he came out of that tomb resurrected, alive by the power of Christ. Now, think about the timing of this. Jesus could have come right away four days earlier and he could have healed Lazarus. But what brought greater glory? An immediate healing of his sickness or a delayed resurrection from the dead? I mean, both are great, to be healed of a sickness is great, but a resurrection from the dead, I think that, that, goes, that goes beyond in terms of the glory scale, don't you? God had a purpose, a greater glory purpose. And whenever the Lord delays in any situation that you have been praying about, even in a case where healing of a loved one, that loved one is not healed, that loved one goes to be with the Lord. You can count on the fact that the Lord heard your very first prayer. He immediately began to respond because he has a plan of greater glory that will be revealed someday so great that it will knock your socks off. It will fill your mouth with worship and praise at the amazing way that God has to work a plan. Now I know that there are many in this room today who have lost loved ones for whom they prayed and prayed and prayed. And I believe this morning in the story of Lazarus, the Lord is pointing you toward the greater glory at just the right time and that set moment that is, that is going to arrive 
someday in the future. And the Apostle Paul describes that day like this. He talks about the trumpet of the Lord is going to sound. And the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a loud command. The same kind of loud command that he shouted out at the grave of Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. Only on that day, he's going to be walking up to the graves of thousands and tens of thousands of people through history who have placed their faith in him. And on that day of the resurrection, he's going to walk up to those graves and he's going to say, and I thought of my mom here. She's, she died a, a believer in Christ a couple years ago. Dorothy May Nichols, come forth. And she is going to come bursting up out of that grave, filled with the life and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And I think I could also say this morning, and I'm thinking of, of the Davidson family right back here. On that day, the Lord with a loud command is going to walk up to that grave and he's going to say, Paul Davidson III, come forth. And, the, and Paul goes on to say, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then all of the rest of us who may happen to be alive on that great day when the Lord comes, says we're going to be changed instantly in the twinkling of an eye from these mortal bodies into these immortal bodies. And, and the passage, and Paul closes it by saying this, and we will all meet our loved ones, and the Lord in the air. And we will forever together be with one another and with the Lord. Now, God has a greater plan. I think that's the greatest glory imaginable. It's the day of the resurrection. So, you may have been praying and praying and praying about a situation in your life. And things are getting harder and harder and harder. Here's the challenge of this second way that God responds. During this delay in answer to your prayers, can you trust the Lord for the greater glory that he is working out? You know, I read a statement by Philip Yancey who he was writing about prayer. And this is what he says, and I think this is a good statement. Maybe what you feel is abandonment by God is really empowerment by God. What if... The stress and the pain that you're going through during this not seeing the, the answer to the prayer. What if God is empowering you? What if he's doing something in your life that's going to come bursting out someday and reveal a greater, a greater answer than he could have given immediately by hanging on to him? That's the way God works. Now, there's a third response, and that's this. Uh, the no can't do that it wouldn't be best. And God gives us that response sometimes. Uh, Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, probably the greatest prayer he ever prayed, the most intense prayer he ever prayed. And he was saying this the night before his death. He said in Mark chapter 14, verse 35, Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering, let that pass, pass from me. And if there's any way that we can accomplish human salvation, without me having to go to that cross, then let's do it that way, Father. But what was the Father's answer to his son's request? The answer was no. Can't do, it. Can't do that. It would not be the best. The cross was necessary for God's plan to be worked out. 
And in that prayer, Jesus added a qualifier that I believe should always be added to our prayers when we, when we bring a need to God. He said this, after praying that prayer, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He submitted himself to God's purposes because God knows best. And so the path you're on today might be very, very painful. And you're saying to the Lord, I don't want to go through this. I've had enough of this. Lord, if there's some other way, then let's do it the other way. And you know what? That's a great prayer because God will sometimes do it a different way. However, if that path you're on, let me let's put, say, state it this way. Can you trust the Lord that just like it was in the case of Jesus in Gethsemane, that you can be in the very center of the will of God for your life and it be one of the most painful places you've ever been in your life? Do you believe those two can happen simultaneously? I do. The Scriptures does. It happened for Jesus. and, And so you may be in the most intense place of suffering in your life and you may be right exactly where God wants you to be right now for the purpose that he's working out in you. Can you, can you hang on to him? Uh, I heard someone say one time that faith is believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse when we look back on it. Then we'll see the pattern. When Jill and I moved to Chicago back in 1979, um, came to go to graduate school, uh, three kids, and it was just... The first year, I said this a couple weeks ago, it was totally chaotic. Uh, Jill was working at Allstate during the day. I was working at UPS at night, going to school in the morning, watching the kids in the afternoon until Jill got home, two in school, one in babysitter. It was, it was a madhouse. It was crazy. And we had this, suddenly this opportunity for Jill to get a job up at Trinity opened up in the office. And it would have been a good job. Uh, and it would have solved a lot of our problems because we could have ridden together up to the school and ridden back together. So it solved the transportation problems and the timing and the schedules and all that kind of stuff. And Jill had a great interview and came home thinking that the job had been all but promised to her. We were waiting for the call. Well, a call came, but not the one we were expecting. Uh, The job was given to somebody else. And we were completely devastated. We, We had really pinned our hopes. We thought this was just God stepping into our circumstances and solving a huge riddle for us. And we were pretty discouraged by that. And, 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 and the worst part of it was, nothing got resolved for several months after that. It was tough. It was rough. It was crazy. And stress levels built, and it was, it was hard. But you know what? Eventually, after I'd been, after I got my first year of graduate school done, the, uh, I, I told you this a couple weeks ago, the pastor of the church we were attending sat down with Jill and I, and he invited me to come on to the team. And, and they had a continuing education program at their church for pastors that were working on master's degrees. And they solved, helped solve our financial issue, they helped solve our transportation issue, our childcare issue, our peace of mind issue, uh, and make our marriage a happier thing too. <laughs> so... Uh, but God, but there was a delay there. We had to wait for that. And it, it was a disillusioning moment for a little while. So the answer is, God has a better way sometimes. And the fourth one is this. I will take care of your need when you get home. 
That's another response that God gives us sometimes. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. The scriptures say that Paul had a painful struggle, what he called his thorn in the flesh, some sort of intense pain in his physical body. And some scholars think that it was an eye disease called ophthalmia, a bacterial disease that inflames the eyes, was very painful, and there really wasn't any cure for it. Now, Paul is a guy who had prayed for a lot of people, and he had seen a lot of miraculous healings. And here's what the Scripture says he did on behalf of his own need. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 says, Paul prayed three times. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this away. But this is the response the Lord gave him. He said this, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made complete in weakness. You know, sometimes we bear a loss or we walk through suffering in this life. And God's, God is working in a way other than a miracle toward a mightier than a miracle goal to be shown when we all get home someday. And eventually, eventually Paul came to accept this painful condition that he would simply live with in this world. And he accepted God's answer. Paul, I'm going to take care of that need in your life when you get home to my presence someday. Now, in first grade, I think I've shared this story maybe a couple times, but it fits in here. First grade at noon recess, I was out with a bunch of other kids, and uh, I, wanted to, I guess I had an opportunity to show my muscles off to a group of kids, and there was a trailer like a hay wagon or something out there on the playground. I don't know why, but it was there. And the metal, you know, the metal tongue of the trailer, the part that you used to hook up to the tractor, pretty heavy. Uh, I bent down and with a mighty surge of strength, you know, just first grade, lifted it off the ground. And with an even greater surge of strength, very impressive, uh, I held it. I stood there holding it. And all the kids are just sort of looking there and, wow, this Jimmy Nichols, man, I don't want to mess with him. I don't know if they were thinking that or not, but I was... That was my, that was my uh, you know, fantasy, I guess. But, uh, but then I let go of it and dropped it with a thud on my big toe. And, uh, that, and it, the pain shot up my leg. It hurt. And, and then something else began to work its way up in me that was horrible in front of a bunch of kids you're trying to express. I felt these, I got choked up. And pretty soon I felt a fountain of tears start to, oh, no, I'm going to cry. I, I, and I burst out in front of all these kids. It turned out horrible. And, uh, but anyhow, my foot was really hurting. It was swelling up inside my shoe. The shoe was getting tight. And uh, the kids all went, they deserted me. They were heading back into the classroom. And I limped my way in. And I think the teacher looked at it and found out it wasn't broken. But it was, it was really swelling up bad. But I'll tell you this. I spent the rest of the afternoon, I'll tell you what, from the moment that pain hit, I had one overpowering desire. And that was to get home where I knew my mother would be to take care of that pain for me. And it would be okay if I just got home. I knew my mother would be there to meet me the moment I got off of that school bus. And it would, man, it would be okay. She'd take care of the need. You know, a good many of us are going to arrive at the eternal kingdom someday with tears and pain that we have carried all the way through this life. Some of those wounds 
some of those scars. We're still, still limping a little bit when we cross the finish line someday. That's the sign of a great faith. That's the sign of a great faith. And, but then the experience, then we're going to experience the ultimate response of God to all of our years of prayer. And it's written for us in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4, where it says, this is what's going to be like on the day we step into his presence. It says this, now the dwelling of God is with his people, and he will live with them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow. For the old order of things that we contended with in this world, they've all passed away. And it's a new order of things. Now, I'm going to wrap this up. And I I want to close with what I believe to be the most powerful thing that can be said about encountering God in prayer. I don't think there's anything more powerful than this in the entire Scripture. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says this about the role or the ministry that Jesus has in heaven in the Father's presence on our behalf. This is what it says. Jesus is able to save, that means, the word means rescue or redeem or restore, completely those who come to God through him, through faith in him, because he always lives to intercede for them, for those who have faith in him. Now, what does that word intercede mean? It's just a fancy word for pray, to, to bear someone's need on behalf of someone else. That's what Jesus does in heaven. And so what this is saying is this. When you pray in Jesus' name, when you bring a need to Christ, he takes that prayer and he brings it to the Father. He makes your prayer his prayer. Your crisis, his crisis. Your struggle, his struggle. Your loss, his loss. Your prayer becomes his prayer to the Father. So how much weight does your praying carry with God the Father? It carries all of the weight and influence of Jesus Christ, your Savior, who takes every prayer that you pray and brings it to God on your behalf. And I hope we can grab a hold of that today. Your prayer becomes his prayer. Every word of your prayer, he takes that and he brings it straight to God the Father. And not a word of it is lost. And God begins to respond the first day on your behalf. So there's a couple action steps here today that we need to have, I think, as a response. Number one, if you've never placed faith in Jesus as your Savior, I want to encourage you to consider taking that step. And you can take that step where you're seated this morning simply by expressing something like this to the Lord. Lord, I believe you died for the forgiveness of my sins to heal me of my separation from from God so that I can encounter God and know him. And I, I ask you to be my Savior. I invite you into my life. A prayer like that where you are seated today And you can begin to have that artesian well experience, that inward experience, encounter with the God who is alive. That's the path he said we take 
to experience him and know him. You can do that today where you sit. The second one is this. As a Christ follower, will you trust that God has heard every word of every prayer you have prayed and that he is, as a result, working in response to, uh, in, in the very wisest and most beneficial way to work out his plan for your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. We thank you, Father, that you have given us such a guarantee of your care and your love. And Lord, that you never, ever abandon your people. You never forsake us, Lord. And we can trust you and believe you and hold on to you. And Father, I pray that that will be the kind of resolve each and every Christ follower in this room has, that we trust you no matter what, that God is in control and he's working out his plan and purpose. And I pray for any person here today, Lord, who has not made a commitment to you, has, has never really received you or invited you into their life, I pray as they do so in this service that you will start to flow that great river of life that you promised to those that come to you. Heavenly Father, reveal your presence in the closing moments of this service to every one of us in this room profoundly and deeply. You are a God who longs to reveal himself to all who open their hearts to him. So, Father, we open our hearts to you, and we give you praise. We receive your word in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.